The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I am Stani. And I am Sadie. And thank you for tuning in and being here this week. Yeah, it's a lovely day in November. Yes, and happy, I guess, Monday after Red Taylor's version came out. Oh, I know. Should we do like a mental health check and like, how are all of you doing? How are we recovering <laughs> from the 10 minute all too well? And from Better Man the Taylor's short version. Film. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What's your favorite oh. vault track? I'm very curious. Better Man yeah, for sure. Too. It's a, yeah, I think it's, it's just, one of my it's my all time one of my all time favorites of hers now. Mm-hmm. Top five. It's yeah, so good. I've had it on repeat like constantly, and I've gone and I've listened to some of the other vault songs, and I go back and listen to Better Man again. It's so, so good. It's so good. Also, nothing. It should have been on the original. The fact that it wasn't. I know. I I'm shocked. It. I love the 10 minute version of All Too Well, but the shorter one does make more yes. sense as a song. I'm glad the 10 minute version exists, but I also feel like, okay, you were smart. The cuts you yeah. made, good call. It definitely yeah, exactly. to exist as the song in the way that it did. But agreed. The lyrics in the 10 minute are so just. I know. <laughs> I know. Like, it's so good, and I'm so glad we got it. But I have to say, like, I'm glad we got the other one first. Yeah, me too. Like, the cut down. Because, yeah, it that one fits better as, like, a song. Like, mm-hmm. it fits together better. This one feels a lot more like her kind of just, like, a free verse poem in yeah, a lot of ways. which is, like, And cool I love that. that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad it we have the original. It made me appreciate the original, but I've been very surprised how many times I've listened to a 10-minute song in the last couple of days. So, oh, it's not even hard. It's not actually. even hard. I was like, eh, it's too long. I'll probably only listen to it once. <laughs> and my no, my husband Jordan, difficult. he loves it. He's like, I have a new appreciation for this song. And I was like, what? Are you listening to the original? And he's like, no. So yeah. he's like, just been listening to the ten minute, uh, ten minute all version. Too well, over and yeah. over. And I'm like, you know what? I think I have married the right man. So <laughs> yes, I think you did as well. <laughs> Good call. Good Jordan. <laughs> I would hate to be John Mayer right now. Just Jake saying. Gyllenhaal. I mean, oh, John Mayer, yeah. his time is coming with Speak Now. Wait, why is everyone talking about John Mayer? Because they're saying this is how bad it is for Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, it's okay. It's going to be even worse for John I Mayer. I was like, I have seen so many things about John Mayer. Yeah. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal. That's who it is. But yeah, that's crazy. It's funny. But yeah, it, yeah. Was a, it was an emotional weekend, but we're recovering and yeah we're doing well we're ready for adele's album oh i am ready for adele's album <laughs> sad girl fall we're ready oh yeah that's that's what time it is just another divorce album perfect <laughs> loving it really loving it loving it oh man okay well today we are talking about a french singer edith piaf or edith piaf i edith i don't know 
I, I've seen Edith? Like Edith. I mean, that's like the Edith? English version of it, you know? Edith, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know how like unsung or forgotten she is, but I'm very obsessed with this woman. So, you know, the song La Vie en Rose. Yes. She's the singer. The original oh, singer wow. of La Vie en Rose. So, that's so funny. I actually, have you seen the movie Sabrina? No, I haven't. Oh, it's so cute. Anyway, <laughs> they play that song in it when she's talking about Paris and how they play it for the tourists, but yeah. it always just makes her have a warm feeling inside when she hears it. And it plays that song a couple of times, and that's so cool. I watched that, like, yesterday. Oh, no way. I love that song. Maybe an unpopular opinion is one of my favorite versions of that song is mm-hmm. from A Star is Born with Lady Gaga when she sings that oh. in the nightclub. It's... I one day will do a cover of La Vie en Rose in French. It is on my bucket you list. You so should. So one day we'll get to it. Yeah. Do like a pop version. But how I originally discovered this woman is I took French in college for a couple semesters because I was a vocal performance major for a while and they require you to take a couple semesters of French and a couple semesters of German just because Mm -hmm. you know you're singing a lot in those languages and so you only have to take like French one and French two but you know just to get the basics of how pronunciation works and kind of get familiar with the basic vocabulary. Anyways, one of the extra credit assignments that you could do at the end of the semester was to watch a movie called La Vie en Rose that was originally done in French. Like, it's a French movie. And so I was like, sure, why not? I'll watch it. And it's a biopic about this woman and about her life. And so obviously it was in French, so I had to watch it with subtitles. And I haven't really watched a lot of media that Mm -hmm. isn't in my own language but there were multiple times in that movie that I just had tears streaming down my face I was so emotionally moved by for one that actress she actually ended up getting an academy award for it that that came out like she did incredible work and it's an amazing movie and it really does a very good job at capturing the life and the, just to the person that this singer was. So I've been waiting forever to do it. This artist, I, I've been collecting vinyl again recently and I was on just mm-hmm. Urban Outfitters just scrolling through their vinyl selection one day and I saw a vinyl that was like the greatest hits of Edith Piaf and I was like, oh my gosh, how have I not done a More Than a Muse episode? <laughs> She's one of my all-time favorite singers. La Vie en Rose is probably my favorite movie, but I can't watch it very often because it just yeah. hurts you me so bad. You have to so pay bad. attention. Yeah, and you have to pay. You can't just mind it into a French movie. So, yeah. But yeah, exactly. But anyways, I love it. I love this woman. I'm so just intrigued by who she was. And so I'm very excited to, you know, talk about her today. So cool. Yes. So she, of course, was in France and she was born 19th of December in 1915. Her music was often autobiographical, which is really cool. And she specialized in chanson and ballads about love, loss and sorrow. And of course, her most widely known song is La Vie en Rose and then Non Je Ne Regret Rien, which you probably don't recognize it from the title, but if you were to hear a small clip of it, I feel like you'd probably be like, oh, yeah, this song. Okay. Like, it's in movies a lot. It's just pretty common, mm-hmm. but, you know, obviously, it's just speaking the French name. It probably isn't like, oh, yeah, yeah. that one. <laughs> Anyways, so it's really good. Just to jump right into her early life. So 
like I said, I don't know if she's very much so like an unsung forgotten artist because there are a lot of biographies about this woman. She was huge in France, but truthfully, a lot of the information about her early life is relatively unknown and it's kind of mm. speculative. She was born Edith Giovanna Gassion in Belleville, Paris, and legend has it that she was born on the pavement of Rue de Belleville, but her birth certificate says that she was born in a hospital. So, okay. who knows? She was named Edith after a World War I British nurse, Edith Cavell, who was executed two months before her birth for helping French shoulders escape from German captivity. Oh, wow. And Piaf yeah. is actually slang for Sparrow, which is a nickname that she later received as she started out performing. Oh. And I'll talk about that later, how she eventually got the name Edith That's Piaf. such a cute nickname, Sparrow. I know, right? Cute. It started yeah. out as Little Sparrow, which I thought was really cute. That's adorable. Mm-hmm. She <clears> has a pretty messy early life her father was a street performer of like acrobatics from normandy traveled with the circus her mother annetta giovanna i think maillard who is better known as Lene marsa was a singer and a circus performer her mother actually abandoned her at birth but she lived for a short time with her maternal grandmother emma her father enlisted with the French army in 1916 to fight in World War One, and he took her to his mother who ran a brothel actually in Normandy where mm. basically she was raised by prostitutes for a while. Wow. From the age of three to seven she was actually blind as a result of keratitis. One of her biographers claims that she recovered her sight after her grandmother's prostitutes pooled money to accompany her on a pilgrimage honoring Saint Teresa of Lisieux and Piaf kind of claims that this was the result of miraculous healing. So somehow after four years of being blind, she was able to see. And it was because apparently, you know, as I guess her biography tells it, it was these prostitutes who put forward these money. I don't know if it was like to go to like a saint to like be blessed or prayed for. I'm not exactly sure what that was, but, but I think even like, you know, Eddie, she recognizes that it was a miracle that she was healed. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. And I just, I keep getting flashbacks to the movie, but I just feel like the way they just show her childhood, like, honestly, like, don't even listen to this podcast. Just go watch the movie. Um, (laughs) I love that movie so much. That's awesome. Anyways. So in 1929, at the age of 14, she was taken by her father to join him in his street performances, pretty much just all over France. And this is where she first began to sing in public. And at the age of 15, she met a woman, Simone or Mamone Bartow, who Mm -hmm. apparently may have been her half-sister. I don't know if that's confirmed or not, but basically they became companions for most of their lives. They were best friends. She's pretty much remains just a constant for the rest of her life. They toured the streets singing and earning money for themselves. And with the money that she was able to earn, her and Mamone were able to rent their own place which is like, of course, when she's very, very young, you know, as a teenager. 
Yeah, that's impressive. In 1932, she met and fell in love with Louis Dupont, which is when she's 17. And within a very short time, he moved into her small room where the three of them lived, despite apparently Louis and Mamon, her really good friend, they really did not like each other. And Louis was never very happy with Piaf's roaming of the streets and continually persuaded her to take like actual jobs that he had found for her, mm-hmm. which she very much resisted until she became pregnant. And so for a short time, she worked in a factory in february of 1933 when she was 17 years old still she gave birth to her daughter marcel like her mother though she found it very difficult to care for the child as she obviously had very little parenting knowledge i mean she was not Mm. even brought up by her parents she was brought up by a group of women in a brothel so she obviously knew nothing about parenting so she very rapidly returned to the street singing until the summer of 1933 when she started performing at Juan Leroux, which it was some type of like bar club, I believe. Following a pretty intense fight over her behavior, Piaf left Louis Dupont, her father, and took Maman, which was her friend, and Marcel with her. The three stared at a hotel, and during this time, Marcel was often left alone in the room while Piaf and Maman were out on the streets on the club singing. So eventually, Louis Dupont came and took Marcel away saying that if Eddie wanted the child she must come home but like her own mother she decided not to come home but apparently she did pay for childcare for a while but unfortunately Marcel her daughter ended up dying of meningitis at the age of two. Oh, that's so sad so like obviously was she a very good mother no she abandoned no. her family she abandoned the father of her child and her daughter but like what I love so much about the movie is it did a very good job of showing where she had come from in the way that it's, you know, you don't like sympathize for it because you can like recognize that what she did was not right. But I don't know. It's sad. Yeah. I'm not here to plead her case. Like she did a very horrible thing, but <laughs> you know, she did not have a normal good. Yeah. So I'm, You don't really learn how to be a good parent from growing up in a brothel i would assume no probably not so i'm gonna move on to her singing career of how she ended up becoming the famous singer that she was so in 1935 which was just you know two years after her daughter was born and she died of two so this is either right before or right during the time that her daughter's passed away she was discovered in an area of paris by a nightclub owner named louis lay i think who had a club Le Gemis. Basically, <laughs> she was discovered in Paris by a nightclub owner, and he persuaded her to sing despite like her very, very extreme nervousness, which I find so funny that she was so nervous to sing in this like club when she was just out on the streets performing. I would be more intimidated <laughs> to sing on the streets than I would be to sing in like yeah. an actual venue, I think. Maybe not. That's funny. I wonder if it's just based on like experience. Like if you grow up learning that that's where you sing and where you perform, then that's what you're used to. Mm -hmm. But if you grow up in a venue, then that's what you're used to. And I guess like the other one's intimidating. When you're on the street, people don't really give you their full attention. So it's very easy just to assume it's fine. But and if you mess up, you just like move on and it doesn't matter because no one's listening to every word. But when you're the center of attention on a stage, like it's very different. So Basically, he persuaded her to sing despite her extreme nervousness, which, okay, she was only four foot eight. So she was a very short person. Oh, yeah. That's really tiny. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, I'm a pretty short person, and that is, like, six inches shorter than me. 
Yeah. So that's really small. Very small. But that's what kind of gave the nickname, which was La Mon Piaf, which is like the little sparrow. sparrow. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. How cute. I know. This club owner taught her the basics of stage presence and told her to wear a black dress, which became a very trademark apparel for her. Hmm. So he ran a pretty public an intense publicity campaign leading up to her opening night, attracting the presence of celebrities and actors and promoters in the area, which I think is cool. He very much was like, no, 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 no. Like this girl's, this is impressive. Wow. Basically, she had her opening night and then these nightclub gigs led to her first two records that were produced the very same year. And wow, right. They were penned by someone named Marguerite Monod, who was a collaborator throughout PF's life and one of her favorite composers. So basically, like that club owner completely fostered up her career and made her really who she was and really went out of his way to promote her and everything, which I think is really cool. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. I found an account. Her name is Daria Halastova. I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong. It's D-A-R-I-A and then H-L-A-Z-A-T-O-V-A. And she draws. I'm pretty sure it's just drawings. They're beautiful. Like, literally, so intricate, so stunning. Ooh, yes. Yes. Like, it's so beautiful. I don't know how to describe them. Like, kind of mystical in a way, but just, like, really intricate and detailed. Mm -hmm. And she does a lot of women with, like, just, like, colors everywhere. They're just so pretty. Yeah, I love it. And she has an Etsy shop, so... You can go and actually buy some of her work and help support her. I love that. Yeah, and it looks like she's selling originals right now on her Etsy, which is crazy because a lot of times people won't do that. And she also has a illustrated ABC book mm. called Awaken Bloom Create. And it has, like, different drawings from it and everything for each letter that she did and then, like, a different thing for each letter. Mm-hmm. And it looks absolutely stunning. And that's $60 on her Ooh. Etsy. So just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, for this person that I am doing, I'm kind of doing it in honor of good old Red Taylor's version. Because I originally Ooh. found her because she does really cute, minimalistic, like, taylor swift not even just taylor swift merch but just um a lot of other just Mm -hmm. fandom merch as well like she had olivia rodrigo shirt i think she's done harry styles things and just really cute crewnecks that she does herself so you can find her on instagram i originally found her on tiktok so she's on both but her instagram is shop crew avenue she does a lot of loungewear like i said it's very minimalistic fandom merch which is always really nice one of my favorite things she has is one that just says Windermere Perk. I was Wind- just Windermere looking Peak's at that. Windermere Peak's a perfect place to cry from. I the want lake. that so bad. I know. I Those love Windermere it. Windermere Peaks look like the, the perfect, perfect place, place to, to cry. Or I love that. Like they, ha- she has a crew neck that just says like Manhattan, NYC, heartbeat on the High Line from Cardigan. This city screams your name. She has like an all too well. I remember it all too well. Upstate New York. 
just cute. I my it's favorite very, is the Windermere Peaks is the perfect place I to know. cry. Perfect I think that's such a good to idea. Cry. Oh my goodness. Or she has like little flower bouquet that says to live for the hope of it all. I just love all the stuff she yeah. has. I've been following her for a while. So that's awesome. No, me and Sadie were even talking about before we started the podcast, just how we wish there was like kind of more minimalist merch mm-hmm. from artists because you want to support them and you want to wear something. But like, I don't always want to wear like their face, their face yeah. or, you know, or like a scene from something, you know, like sometimes it's fun to just have something that's a little bit more subtle that doesn't scream like I'm a Taylor Swift fan. Taylor Swift. It's more like I'm a Taylor Swift sa- fan, but I'm also an adult. Yes. Also, <laughs> so. uh, you have to tell them what merch you got, though. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to remember who I got it from. Let me see if I can find out because I'll tell her name, too. I got a red crew neck sweater that literally says, give Taylor her scarf back. So good. (laughs) Very excited about it because I don't own anything Taylor Swift. Um, And the name of the person is Adelaide's Fort is the name of her shop. Yeah. Adelaide's Fort. She does accessory and apparel. And she also has like a bunch of different things. Like she's done a ton of like book and harry potter and stuff like that as well so she has a shirt that's really popular that says like always in love with the villain or something like that and mm-hmm. um a bunch of other stuff but yeah i when the minute i saw that instagram ad for her give taylor her scarf back so that's so neck, I was funny like, i love that i know <laughs> all right now back to the show But what ended up happening, so in April of 1936, which is three years after she made her debut, he was actually murdered. And what? Yes. So she was questioned and accused as an accessory, but was later acquitted for it. But what had happened is he had been killed by mobsters that had previous ties to Piaf. And so because of that, a ton of negative media attention threatened her career obviously and so she tried to rehabilitate her image and she recruited a i think a manager his name was raymond asso who she actually later became romantically involved with but he changed her stage name to edith piaf instead of the you know the little sparrow and barred her from seeing undesirable acquaintances uh, i quote and commissioned mano which was the you know the composer that edith really liked to write songs that reflected or alluded to like her previous life on the streets and to kind of make it seem like that was something from the past that she had you know given oh, up on okay yeah and that was just done in like an attempt to and it wasn't just like the fact that you know she like grew up in a brothel or whatever she was a street performer in mm-hmm. with that crowd you know, apparently had ties to a gang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But That's crazy. I know. But she just, you know, kept performing and singing and building up her career. In 1947, she wrote the lyrics to the song May Kuska Kuje. She was in a love affair with someone named Ives Monstand, I believe. And she wrote the lyrics for a song that he ended up singing. And... <laughs> And then he became one of the most famous singers in France. So then she broke off their relationship when he had become almost as popular as she was. So she was like, no, 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 you are not writing these coattails. We are breaking up. <laughs> Which I think That's is hilarious. During this time, she was in very big demand 
in and very successful in Paris as France's most popular entertainer. But then after the war, she was known internationally throughout Europe and the United States and South America. At first, apparently she was met very, with very little success with American audiences who <laughs> I guess like expected a more like gaudy spectacle and they were disappointed by her very simple presentation, which was really just, mm. you know, her on stage in a simple black dress singing. But then yeah. in 1947, there was a glowing review in the New York Herald of, of a very influential New York critic. And he, I guess, was a contributor to the international avant-garde culture. And so because of that, her popularity started to grow. And then she eventually appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show eight times and then had performances in Carnegie Hall twice. So Wow. And then... In 1945, she wrote and performed her signature song, La Vie en Rose, and that song has actually been, it was voted a Grammy Hall of Fame award in 1998, which I think is really cool. I mean, wow. But I mean, that's a pretty significant song. Like everyone knows yeah. La Vie en Rose, whether it's her version or Louis Armstrong's version or, you know, mm -hmm. anything, but it's a very significant song. She experienced lasting fame in a music hall in Paris. It was Bruno Cocteau's famous Paris Olympia music hall that she, you know, like I said, experienced that lasting fame. She gave several mm -hmm. concert series there, and it was the most famous venue in Paris between January 1955 and the 60s. So within the 50s and 60s, that was the place to go. She did frequent performances there. There's actually excerpts from five of these concerts throughout the 50s and 60s that were issued on record and on CD and have never been out of print, which is really cool. And like wow. live performances too, which like it's not always the easiest thing to perform live yeah. and to do it well. So she was just very good at what she was doing. That's impressive. And so then, though, in 1961, she performed a concert there in an effort to save the venue from bankruptcy and that's where she first sang the song Non Je Ne Regret Rien and like I said that's become one of her most lasting songs which I think is really cool. So she had a great love. Um, the love of her life apparently was a boxer named Marcel Cerdan and he was actually married so they had a love affair for quite some time oh but he actually he died in a plane crash in october of 1949 while flying from paris to new york city to actually meet her where she was currently at but yeah it actually the plane ended up crashing which ended up killing everyone on board kernan's affair was made international headlines as he was the former middleweight world champion and a legend in france in his own right and then of course she was the most famous french singer and then also had yeah. international fame so i think that like the affair came out after he had passed away and that made mm. international headlines and i know i've talked about that movie a lot but going back to it that moment where she finds out he has died is i was just i was i was very emotional <laughs> oh the actress is just such a good job and like i you just feel for yeah. this woman and this i mean it's a character but it's also a real woman which obviously yeah. very intense more with her personal life so she ended up marrying jacques Pills, which his real name was Renee Ducos, which was her first husband in 1952. She divorced him in 1957. And then in 1962, she wed Theo Serapo, who was a singer and actor. He was 20 years her junior, apparently. And the couple. That's a large age it's gap. a large age gap. The couple sang together in some of her very last engagements. So they were okay. married in 1962 and then were together until she died, which ended up being just the very next year so mm. she had two husbands but like i said the great love of her life was absolutely that boxer who ended up dying in 1949 
So as far as, I guess, just her death and, of course, her legacy. So she very severely suffered with alcoholism and drug abuse, whether that be via medications or things like that, which were initially for arthritis pains and for insomnia. But her use of these substances definitely took a very heavy toll on her health. But then there was also a series of pretty bad car accidents that really exacerbated what was going on because she had to take, you know, obviously pain medications to help with the pain she was feeling due to her car accidents. And she had to take like a lot. She had surgeries due to stomach ulcers. Basically, she was really young, but she was not in great health. And especially with her alcohol abuse, she had liver issues and things like that. It was really sad. Um, This is insane. So in 1962, she had lost a very significant amount of weight. Her lowest was 66 pounds which is oh my gosh very scary i mean she was a very yeah. small person she was four eight but like that yeah, so that is the size of a child it's pretty sad yeah. i don't think you should be an adult woman and only weigh 66 pounds. pounds but i think that you know just shows like just how in bad health she was so very sad she ended up passing away on October 10th of 1963 from a ruptured aneurysm due to liver failure. She was only 47 when she passed away. And her very last words were, every damn thing you do in this life, you have to pay for it. Oh, man. And that, those were her last words. And, and it said that Serapo, which was her husband, drove her body back to Paris secretly so that fans would think she died in her hometown. And then her old friend Jean Cocteau actually died the very next day when from a heart attack hearing that, it, you know, Piaf had died, which is very sad. That's so sad. I know. She's now buried in the cemetery next to her daughter, Marcel, where her grave is among one of the most visited Um and then buried next to her is her father, Antheo Serapo, which was the person she was married to before she died. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is something that I thought was just like interesting. So originally she was denied a funeral mass because she was remarried after her divorce and in the like in the Orthodox Church. And so it wasn't given the normal thing, but her funeral procession drew tens of thousands of people into the streets of Paris, which I think is amazing. And the yeah. ceremony at the cemetery was attended by more than 100,000 fans. Holy cow. Yeah. And then Charles Aznavour recalled that Piaf's funeral procession was the only time since the end of World War II that he saw Parisian traffic come to a complete stop. So wow. obviously very, very well celebrated that there was 100,000 people that made an effort to come and honor the life of this woman. Um Apparently in October 10th of 2013, so pretty recently, which is, of course, 50 years after she died, the Roman Catholic Church recanted and gave Piaf a memorial mass in the St. Jean Baptiste Church in Belleville, Paris, which was the Paris which she was born. But since 1963, when she died, the French media has continually published magazines, books, plays, television specials, films about this star. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, which like, of course there is because she really was, like you said, like 100,000 people. And the last time it was that busy was literally the end of World War II. So yeah, it's pretty significant in France. So her legacy has definitely lived on. In 1973, the Association of the Friends of Edith Piaf was formed, which was followed by the inauguration of the place Edith Piaf in Belleville in 1981. 
this is cool. Apparently, there's a Soviet astronomer who named a small planet 3772 Piaf in her honor. That's cute. I know. And then, of course, the biopic that I mentioned, it was released in 2007, which was called La Vie en Rose with French actress Marianne Cotillard. And oh, she did such an amazing job and, and ended up winning her an Academy Award. And then awesome. there's also a book called No Regrets, The Life of Edith Piaf by Carolyn Burke that was published in 2011. I think those are maybe more of the more famous retellings mm-hmm. of her like biography with definitely that movie which was just i will never stop recommending that movie to people it's so so good that's awesome but yeah so that is the very very tragic life of edit piaf it's hard like there's so much just mental illness and sadness and tragedy that exists in her life that i don't think i even was really able to i don't want to say give credit because you know what i mean like that doesn't feel like the right way of saying it but really show exactly what was going on i mean she was born when world war one was happening lived through world war ii in france in just a very hard time to be alive grew up on the streets basically had to be independent and fend for herself abandoned from her parents at a very young age and ended up becoming one of the france's most famous and most popular i think entertainers ever so yeah she's amazing that's crazy there's two quotes from her so like i mentioned she had problems breaking into the american scene and what Mm. she said about that she said americans want beauties not me i am not the parisian bombshell they expected can you see me as a chorus girl where's my feather up the ass they think i'm sad they're dumb i don't connect to them So she did not like the Americans. <laughs> oh my gosh. But then about her music, which I thought was a very beautiful quote. She said, I want to make people cry even when they don't understand my words. Oh, I love and that. And she absolutely did that with just like the way she sang. And like you can hear and listen to recordings of her. Just she she obviously had suffered great tragedy and great loss in her life. And she was able to communicate that so beautifully in the way she performed and with her music and like I said I think it's cool that like she was writing her own songs I feel like back then it was definitely more common for artists to just you know sing songs that other people had written and I don't know the percentage of how much of the songs that you know she performed were actually written by her but it's very cool to me that she was in large part writing her own music and especially like La Vie en Rose one of the most iconic songs of all time and she not only saying that, yeah. but also contributed to the writing of that song as well. What do the lyrics of La Vie en Rose even translate to? Ooh, that is a great question. It's a very nice song, actually. I would imagine so, because it sounds beautiful. It is. So this is the direct English translation. Okay. Obviously, Louis Armstrong does a version in English that is much more... Yeah, I was more, like, is his... I think it's... Is his, in theory it's like it's definitely like a good translation it speaks the same words but here's the direct translation 
Okay. So a gaze that make me lower my own, a laugh that is lost on his lips, that is the unretouched portrait of the man to whom I belong. When he takes me into his arms, he speaks to me softly, and I see life through rose-colored glasses. He speaks words of love to me. They are everyday words, and they do something to me. He has entered into my heart a bit of happiness that I know the cause of. It's only him for me and me for him for life. He told me he swore to me for life. And soon as I noticed him, I feel inside me my heart beating. Endless nights of love bring great happiness. The pain and bothers fade away. Happy, so happy I could die. When he takes me to his arms, he speaks to me softly, and I see life through rose-colored glasses. He speaks words of love to me. They are everyday words, and they do something new to me. He has entered into my heart a bit of happiness, and I know the cause of. It's only him for me and him f- and me for him for life. He told me. He swore to me for life. As soon as I noticed him, I feel inside me my heart beating. So it's very romantic love song. And it's like La Vie en Rose. It's, you know, life in pink. It's life through rose-colored glasses. That's what the song is. That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then, of course, like the version with Louis Armstrong. I have it right here. Oh, you do? Cool. What are those? Yeah. It's hold me close and hold me fast. This magic spell you cast. This is La Vie en Rose. Yeah. When you kiss me, heaven sighs. And though I close my eyes, I see La Vie en Rose. When you press me to your heart, I'm in a world apart, a world where roses bloom. And when you speak, angels sing from above. Everyday words seem to turn into love songs. Mm-hmm. Give your heart and soul to me, and life will always be love on rose. rose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty yeah. similar. Just make it a little bit more, a little bit more sense. Yeah. But just a very, <laughs> a very more beautiful writing. love song. That is so beautiful. Yeah. So I just absolutely adore this woman as a entertainer and a performer like i said she doesn't speak english like the movie doesn't have a lick of english in it but just her story mm-hmm. it was so moving and who she was as a human being was very moving i mean she was absolutely a flawed character i'm not here to say that you know i i don't yeah. i don't know she was a flawed human being who but i think at the end of her life like i said you everything you do in life you pay for but what i thought in the movie would well actually i'm not gonna give it away but basically i think the movie does a really good job at like calling back to moments that she regrets and how Uh, those moments affected her throughout her whole life but i don't want to give it away because once i realized what the movie was doing i i was like oh my gosh so (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so cool it makes me want to watch it now i would recommend it but like obviously i said you have to pay attention because it's yeah it's french but i was like i have to find a time when i can sit and read the subtitles (laughs) exactly but it's a very beautiful movie very amazing artist very amazing woman and yeah that is edith piaf and for anyone who does want to watch it, it looks like it's available on Amazon Prime for like four bucks to rent. Yep. That's what I originally or watched it on. if you're planning on watching it twice, you can just buy it for $10. I purchased it. <laughs> yeah. So. so yeah, there is Edith Piaf, my I love that icon. so much. I've never even thought about the history of that song. So yeah. I'm excited that I know. It's done by that very, very amazing woman. Well... Anything else? No, just if you guys are enjoying the podcast, guys, gals, whoever we are, go and leave us a review. We would yeah. love that. Follow us on Instagram. It's just more than amused.podcast for more stuff we have going on over there. And also, just like remember that all of you and all the female artists that you know and love are more than a muse. Yeah, we're all more than muses. 
Mm-hmm. We'll see you cool. next week. Definitely. Cool. Bye. Bye. <laughs>